Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of those other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, September 10th, 2023. And, and Brian, as we record this, Destination D23, a two-day-long gathering of the members of the official Disney fan club, is wrapping up at the Contemporary Hotel at the Walt Disney World Resort. And I'm sure over the past weekend you saw that some Lucasfilm-related news bubbled up from that event. Bubble up is the right word. Okay. <laughs> it right. was It was like, and when they announced it too, it was like, if you sneezed, you missed it type of thing. Okay. Couple of reasons for that. Now, now first of all, let's, let's assume that some of the folks listening to this podcast aren't aware of, of what got announced. So the Indiana Jones adventure, which has been entertaining guests at Disneyland Park in California since March of 1995. And also there. Were you? Oh, cool, cool, cool. Okay. It rained. The whole day. Oh. And we had to buy our $5 um, yellow Disney <laughs> ponchos. There you go. We rode it twice. Oh, okay. And I scared the hell out of everybody because I mm. figured out the mm-hmm. the whole thing about the wall or the ceiling falling down. Mm-hmm. So I was the, the nasty little kid that would scare people to death. <laughs> by just, you had to move the pole and oh. I would move it and it would... And people were running. In the the queue. There we go. Okay. Also worth noting, Indiana Jones Adventure. There's another one, folks. And that's been entertaining uh, visitors to Tokyo Disney Sea since that park opened in September of 2001. Is it the same thing? Well, no. Okay. It's not forbidden eye? No. Actually, in Japan, it's the Temple of the Crystal Skull. Now, what's fascinating about that is that theming, that idea predates the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull movie by more than seven years. That Spielberg movie wouldn't actually open in theaters till May of 2008. Anyway, what was revealed at Destination D23 was that the Indiana Jones adventure is reportedly being considered as a possible replacement for Dinosaur the Ride, which when Disney's Animal Kingdom first opened back in April 1998, was originally known as Countdown to Extinction. Also uh, worth noting here that in 2024, Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, uh, the attraction at Disneyland Park in Anaheim, Disney Hollywood Studios in Florida, and Disneyland Paris in France, but curiously not for the Tokyo Park, But the plan is to include new ride film elements that will feature characters and settings guests have come to know and love from Star Wars limited series that have run on Disney+. These series include The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett, and now will feature ride film elements built around worlds and characters we've seen in Ahsoka. Now, when they mean that, do they mean the the actors? I mean, will... Rosario Dawson and and all those people, would they be part of it? This seems to be what I've been hearing from Imaginary. And think about it. We've seen Poe. We've seen Ray uh, in Rise of the Resistance. So it's entirely possible that, you know, when they've been shooting 
elements of the the series they've been pulling these actors aside and, and shooting stuff for these new uh, Star Wars The Adventures Continues ride films. But what puzzles me is what's not on this list. Star Wars Andor, Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. Also, the animated Star Wars The Bad Batch. I I really like those guys. I'd like to see them. Yeah, The Bad Batch would be good. Um, I do want to go back to the Indiana Jones thing, Mm -hmm. um, if we can, just, just a couple seconds. Like I said, they just announced that it may be going into Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's thinking, well, the ride could go into... Would they make a new kind of ride? I mean, would it would it be based on the Crystal Skull or or Forbidden Eye? Or or would it just... We're going to get into that in a few okay, minutes. Okay, okay. I didn't know right. that. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Because there's all sorts of ramifications, uh, which we'll discuss in the news section of today's show. And then... Okay. Second half of the show, Brian will give, offer up his thoughts on the most recent episodes of Star Wars Ahsoka. But first, the news, and as always, the news portion of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, which is Touring Plan's own travel agency. And if you're thinking of heading on down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, why not give these obviously very knowledgeable folks the opportunity to book a vacation package to that resort? And if you're nice, maybe they'll toss in a subscription to the Touring Plan's for free. Seriously, though, if you're looking for info, folks here, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. So anyway, it was just over two weeks ago, August 23rd to be exact, when the walk-around face character version of Ahsoka Tana began appearing in the West Coast version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And this past Friday, September 8th, Ahsoka was joined by another fan favorite, General Hera Sildana. Better yet, Hera, as she greets visitors at Black Spire Outpost, is joined by that droid with an attitude, Chopper. You know, he's like he's like um Kenny. Mm-hmm. You know he's saying something, but you don't know what it is. And as I understand, it, it's Mr. Filoni himself who, who records yeah. the audio that then gets distorted. By the way... They did show some imagery just today at the D23 Expo of the chopper that is rolling around uh, out in Anaheim. And all three of these character encounters, uh, Ahsoka, Hera, and Chopper, only happening on the West Coast. You know, and that in the Batu that guests get to experience when they visit Disneyland Park out in California, whereas the East Coast version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, what I'm being told, Brian, is that for the time being, these characters are deliberately being held back, being prevented from interacting with guests who visit the Black Star Outposts that was built to the back of, of Disney's Hollywood Studios because Ahsoka, Hera, and Chopper could potentially distract those folks with Deep Pockets who are in the middle of experiencing Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. And just a reminder here, folks, we are two weeks in change out from when this cruise on land experience officially closes on September 30th. I want to say the very last sailing of the Halcyon heads out on September 28th. And uh, more to the point, all of the sailings between now and then are, are completely booked. By the way, I, did we talk about the survey uh, on the la- last, uh, our last looking at Lucasfilm? No, no, we haven't. Um, the only place you talk to surveys is on Disney Dish. 
But um, no, what, what was the survey about? Supposedly a bunch of folks who have done sailings on the Halcyon this summer uh, have been reached out to by Disney Parks officials. They have been offered $150 in Disney gift cards if they agree to take part in an hour-long evaluation Symposium. after action i'm not I, i'm not sure what the exact term here is but what they're looking to for is in-depth information about these folks stay aboard the halcyon and this is not just like we're doing this for like one week these interview sessions started back in august and are supposed to continue through october so disney's making an effort to gather information here but uh, brian the question then is for what because I, I can see the answers to everything price mm -hmm. price okay. price well i mean that's it i mean more people would have gone if the price was better i'm, I'm convinced i i think there is a secondary issue here I mean, I, I think we, we've alluded to it on the show, and I know Len and I have talked a little bit about it, but this actually is, for lack of a better term, a weakness of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as well, that for a lot of Star Wars fans, they wanted to go to the Star Wars that they knew. Right. They wanted to go to Tatooine. They wanted to go to the Cantina in Mos Eisley. They wanted to hang out with Luke and Han and, you know, and that then sort of thing. Then why don't they just re retool it to something like that rather than shutting it down completely? Because they put so much money into it. All you can do is you can go in there, you can make things look like a, inside of a, tr not a trailer, but, you know, mm -hmm. like a, a, a something that will bring from one thing to another and then and then you could you could bring in Luke and Darth and and the whole family. Well, generationally, the boomers, folks like myself who who carry the large wallets, that's what they wanted. Now, on the other hand, the younger generation, which is the future of the Star Wars franchise, they're the ones who are losing their minds when they run into Mando and Grogu at Galactic, you know, uh, well, well, it's Blackfire Outpost. But they still know the old movies also. It's not like they don't watch the old movies. They're introduced. I mean, almost every father, and you know, introduces his kids to the new movies by showing them four first. There's a kind of a school of thought right now that, you know, we kind of blew it with Galaxy's Edge. That if you think about it, just, for example, in... In California, just outside of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, you have Fantasyland, where you have a Dumbo the Flying Elephant, which is just across the street from Pinocchio's Daring Adventure, which is right, right. next to the Rose Tavern from Beauty and the Beast, which is right next door to Snow White's now Enchanted Wish. You know, I mean, and all of these characters from different stories, from different time periods, are in the same neighborhood. And it just, the thinking in regard to what they did with Black Spire Outpost is they got so rigid about the time and the setting and what characters could be in this sort of thing. It was just one of these things where it's like sometimes too much research is bad. I mean, there's this famous story about when Disney was making the film that eventually became The Emperor's New Groove. At this point, it was called, I want to say, Kingdom in the Sun or Kingdom of the Sun. 
with music by Sting. Yes, yes. Yet that's the film I'm talking about. No, well, anyway, they are in the middle of making this movie. And it's, it's Roger Allers, one of the co-directors of Lion King. And they're literally doing scenes of people wandering through the streets of, of an ancient Incan civilization. And, and somebody comes in and says, oh, you got to pull out all the carts. And it's like, why? Well, the Incans didn't have wheels. Oh, jeez. And it's one of these things where it's like, what? They had sledges. And it's just sort of like, and, and the film literally grinds to a halt for a week to 10 days while they have meeting after meeting. Well, like, do we really have to be that authentic? And it's like, well, we're trying to be authentic, but it's like, you know, sledges, you know, they do, we actually have chases that go through <laughs> the streets of this thing. And it, if you're drawing a sledge, it's like the, the joke they make about the mummy movies that Universal used to make. It's like, right. look, if you can't outrun, you know, a, basically a walking heap of laundry, you deserve to die, you know, but that's the same thing it's just this whole notion of you know oh well we got to take the carts out you know because yeah you know, they had sledges and it's just sort of too much research do something that's entertaining and so what we're watching in real time happen is that the entire star wars in the disney theme because i mean again just what was just announced the uh the notion of of ahsoka you know and the mando and book of boba fett showing right. up in star tours the adventures continue it's because people like these characters and they want to see them now so then change change the, the halcyon to that to I get you can say that, <laughs> you know, on the other hand, if you've been inside of the physical building and seen the steel and seen the concrete and seen the glass right. and it's just, and it's like, oh, to change the theme of this. And, and not only that, the, the staterooms that you stay in right. that, that don't say Star Wars at all. You know, but don't get me wrong. You have a lovely view out into space, and that that media is is amazing to watch. And you have your little flat screen where you can interact with your droid AI figure. But the room itself is you yeah. Know, but kind can, of bleh. can you say can you say overlay? I mean, mm. look what they do to the haunted mansion in mm. what a month. You know, they turn it into a whole. I, I'm pretty sure they could do you know get some little paint and stuff like that and. Well, and, and maybe, turn it into something. maybe this is what the survey is about. But pivoting now to the Indiana Jones adventure yeah. uh, being considered possible replacement, Dinosaur the Ride, and Bloom. And in fact, it's kind of ironic given you were just saying, oh, they'll just change that. Because they can do this with Dinosaur and Indy because they have the exact same ride vehicle. It's a troop carrier in California. It's right. a time rover in Florida, but it's a, you know, it's a vehicle with an enhanced motion base. They literally follow the follow the exact same ride path. They they have a bridge too. I don't um, remember. Well, no, 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 no. Well, again, remember the bridge <laughs> that's a piece of ride track that's not really a bridge. Oh, it's you know. not. Oh, I thought I thought it was actually something that went over, you know, another second story. It goes over. I mean, don't get me wrong. It it's it looks like oh, a bridge. Okay. All right, but again, it's supposed to. The ride vehicle is telling you rickety bridge made out of flimsy wood. All right, 
you know, right, but right. it's it's the ride vehicle that's telling you that as you go over the piece of reinforced structural steel. Okay. okay. All right. So what's it going to take to turn Dinosaur the Ride into Indiana Jones Adventure? It will involve pulling all of the pre-existing sets and animatronics that are currently located inside of this 65,000 square foot building out. And then you have to take 1,856 foot long track and put indie themed elements along that. Uh, you then have to reskin, repaint those 12 passenger time rovers to turn them into 12 passenger troop carriers. By the way, I, and I got this info from Eddie Sato, who worked on the original uh, Indiana Jones adventure. Do you know what his inspiration was for the big room? You know, the room where you, you roll in and suddenly there's the giant, you know, oh. Amar. Mm-hmm. As you walk yep. in there, yeah. Um, okay, I would I would think it was Temple of Doom. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's certain aspects of it, yeah, that are reminiscent of Temple of Doom. But actually, if we're being honest about this attraction's big room, uh, it's actually inspired by the glory hole that the central scene oh, over okay. at Knott's Berry Farm, yeah, not, yeah, exactly, uh, in, yeah. in the Calico Mine ride. I mean, Eddie spent. The earliest part of his career in themed entertainment working over there and when he went over to disney it's like hey this is a really great strong idea you know that maybe we should borrow it i remember going on that when i was a little kid and that Mm -hmm. was like the first ride like that that Mm -hmm. i've ever seen and to me it was real i was Mm -hmm. actually going into a mine and it was really cool because you started on the bottom Mm -hmm. and then you would see the glory hole and then you'd Mm -hmm. go up to the top and you'd see it again from mm-hmm. from up at top and then Very of course cool. you'd cross a bridge and the mm-hmm. explosions the whole thing but during the halloween haunt mm-hmm. the second year that i went what they mm-hmm. did was they just got props mm-hmm. from hollywood you know mm-hmm. like dragons and ghouls and stuff and then people who were um in the stunt shows would dress up as monsters and mm-hmm. go into the ride and there's parts where you go through the the rivers, you know, the 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 colorful like rivers and stalactites and stuff, and the monsters would stand there. The train would stop, mm-hmm. and then the monsters would come, and of course they didn't grab you, but they got close. And it it was it was it would started the whole Halloween haunt stuff. Mm-hmm. Was that? And I went the second year it opened. To, to see stuff like that. But it was basically, you know, they threw it together on the fly. And did you know the rides were not done by Knott's, the Knott's people? It was done by another guy? Oh, uh, Hurlbutt. Uh, but right. Hurlbutt? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's interesting you bring up Not Done by Knott's because I don't know if you've been back into the Calico Mine ride since it had its update back in no, June of 2014, but Garner Holt, the guy who does all of Disney's animatronics these days, except for the hero figures, he redid a, a lot of the animation for uh, Calico oh, Mind cool. Ride. And, and, and also the, the log ride? Yes. Which was the first log ride ever. Did you know that? Well, I think there was one that predated it. Oh, there I was. Wanna, okay. I want to say it Astro World, but for a themed log ride. Right, I, right. And by the way, have you seen the famous photo from the opening day when, when John, John Wayne? Wayne? That's right. But did you see who was in the crowd watching John Wayne slide down the mountain? No. 
Tony Baxter, young Tony oh. Baxter, who then went to Disney and, and built Splash Mountain, a, a flume ride that slid down a mountain. Go figure. So back to uh, redoing Dinosaur as Indiana Jones. So okay. then, but they would, would they use another story though? Would they, I mean, it would be, see, I always thought it would be better to, to change, you know, when they did Disneyland versus Disney World to change mm-hmm. everything. You know, not drastically, but enough so that if you go, well, I love the Haunted Mansion here, mm-hmm. I want to go see the other Haunted Mansion. But mm-hmm. when you do, it's almost exactly the same thing. Well, yeah, well, but okay. I know, I know J- Japan and China now, they have done, and and people want to do that. They want to go see Mystic. Um, Mystic Manor, that's Mansion, in Hong Kong. And, yeah. then, mm-hmm. and then the other one, uh, what's the one in japan but they want to they want to see that because it's different but it's the same ride yet different again you know what disney found from its own research is they wanted a haunted mansion now what disney did to try to make it different for florida is they took their inspiration from uh hudson valley i mean for example when you come into liberty square and you have your sleepy hollow tavern you know again that's the whole notion of that this is supposed to be a brooding mansion at the edge of the hudson versus say you know if we look at the one at disneyland it's it's a, a, a mansion in the deep south that Still looks lovely in the outside. It's only when you get inside it gets a little weird. Yeah, but in the in the the haunted mansion in the deep south, the ghosts are dressed for this almost the style. They're dressed in the tails. They're dressed in the dresses. They they look like something out of the 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 south. Whereas Disney World, mm-hmm. it has a different story. You know, it's got a western theme, but everybody's almost exactly the same. Okay, I mean if we if we're talking about Phantom Manor versus Haunted Mansion, I could go right. for that. But to be honest, I mean if, if not to disagree with you Brian, but but they literally built the figures and the props for both of the the, the mansion time. they built them at the same time. Uh, okay. All right. So it's it's not a question of Yeah, but they, they could change the dresses. Eh, all right. But I just I just wondered, I mean, since they did the Crystal Skull in Japan, it would be great if they would do another theme and then something that would hit that would like connect to um Animal Kingdom too. Aren't they going to do um Encanto like next well, to it? Well, all right. Now, uh, okay, am I getting ex- ahead of myself again? Yes. Okay. <laughs> now, all right. Um you were talking about, you know, what are they going to do different? Well, you know, and again, remember, we're only working off of one piece of concept art, and more to the point, this is an early rendering, and and things can and will change. Oh, yeah. But what they're suggesting is the exterior of the current Countdown to Extinction Dinosaur the Ride building. They will build over uh, the pre-existing entrance and queue space uh, an ancient temple structure that will be high enough that it will loom up out of the jungle. Also, more to the point, f- people, as they drive into the Animal Kingdom parking lot, will see this new old structure uh, looming up out of the jungle to the right of the park's entrance and go, ooh, I want to go visit that. Now, you did mention that there is also a discussion that in instead of instead of the where the Institute is located for 
Dinosaur the Ride, if we go out to Dino Land USA, the roadside attraction, this is where supposedly the village just below the Madrigal's family's casita in Disney Canto will be located. Now, the, the way Bruce Vaughn described this is that we're in the northernmost part of Central America. And so, according to the mythology of the uh, Encanto, the uh, Madrigal's hidden away magical village was located somewhere in the jungles of Colombia. And if you remember from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that movie opened up with uh, Indy going oh, into right. the temple in Peru. And beauty part is Colombia and Peru actually border one another. So, you know, I mean, thematically it works. And what's also kind of interesting is if you compare aerial views of Dino Land USA and the, uh, again, the institute building that houses Dinosaur the Ride, they're leaving a lot of the structures that are already in place there. For example, Chester and Hester's Dinorama Retail, also the Restaurantosaurus Quick Service Building. Uh, these are all staying in place for the, okay. uh, the Madrigal's Village. And again, that's the other brilliant part of this plan is that you know, if you do turn Dinosaur the Ride into Indiana Jones Adventure, you can leave that building in place as well. Have they ever mixed IPs? What if you did Indiana Jones meets mm. the new Jungle Cruise? Uh, you wouldn't need water because they're in the jungle a lot. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for what if he <laughs> connects up with the rock and they go after some, you know, neat, neat thing. Um, that way you can have double merch. I hear what you're saying, but you're kind of overlooking just the past three months where Dial of Destiny came out yeah. and underperformed at the bottom. No, this is important all right, because, okay. you know, that Bruce Vaughn comes in the door as the new head of Imagineering back in March of this year. And he's supposedly the one who, you know, looked at, you know, what was on the table. And remember, as recently as last year, you know, at the D23, they showed artwork that showed Moana being built in Dinoland USA. And off in right. the distance, we had Zootopia going into the old Dinosaur the Ride building. But, you know, Bruce is the guy who made the connection two stories set in South America. This is an area that, you know, Animal Kingdom hasn't yet, you know, done anything with. So, you know, here's, you know, a, a smart link up. I think it's a great idea to do to do that. I don't think Zootopia belongs in Animal Kingdom. I think Zootopia belongs in, Dis in Disneyland. Then you really Disneyland. don't want to pay attention to what's going into the Tree of Life to replace its stuff to be a bug. Because Zootopia Oh, they're going to change that? It's That's one of the greatest things. I remember bringing Devin there and then just scaring the life out of him. It was just <laughs> one of the most wonderful. When those things come off the top, that was it. He was gone. Okay. And then he remembered, too. He remembered what it was, and he would not go back into it. He was at a year old, but still. <laughs> There's some quality parenting going on there. Well, okay. Yeah, well. All right. <laughs> anyway, getting back now to uh, Dial of Destiny coming out. Again, everybody was very enthusiastic about this Indiana Jones idea, you know, replacing Dinosaur the Ride until Dial of Destiny came out and underperformed at the box office. And Disney's definitely working to turn 
Indy 5's reputation around. I don't know if you saw the stats that were just revealed. In the first six days that it was available, this info comes, by the way, from Samba Television, the, the television analytics firm. Dial of Destiny was watched in 474,000 homes domestically wow. during its first. You know, again, this is, and, you know, and Samba wanted people to know, well, you know, if we compare that to, say, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, they were watched in a few more homes. They were watched in 482,000 uh, households during their first five days. So it's just they're trying to make a comparison there. I will tell you, though, Brian, that talking with friends at, at Lucasfilm, Dial of Destiny's box office has had an impact on their future plans for this franchise. I mean, remember, in November last year, we heard about a Raiders prequel series, the one that was going to be built around Marion's dad, right. Abner Ravenwood. I'm hearing now that that's dead in the water. Completely dead in the water? And that I, would have been a, a Disney Plus? A Disney Plus, and, uh, but done in by Dial of Destiny's dismal box office. Yeah, but see, that's another thing. Remember there, they did... Um, the Santa Claus as a as a Disney series too, and mm -hmm. I don't think that did well at all. And then they did um, Natural Treasure, and I don't think that did well at all. I don't think it's hard to make a series out of a movie. Okay, Santa <laughs> Claus yeah. uh, did get picked up for a second season. It did. Okay, uh, National Treasure did not. But they're still going to make movies of that. I think Jerry Bruckheimer would like to. But again, you know, it's hard to convince a Disney when, you know, the National Treasure limited series didn't do the numbers that, oh, well, but let's do the film. And by the way, uh, Dave Filoni's Avengers-like uh, movie, the one that was supposed to team up all of the Star Wars characters we've been introduced to in the right. limited series, that might be in trouble as well. Again, info from Samba TV revealed that only 1.2 million households watched Ahsoka during its first six days on Disney+. Plus. Conversely, Book of Boba Fett, that got 1.9 million during its first six days. Uh, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, 2.14 million. Okay, something like this is, I think that a show like Ahsoka mm -hmm. should have been shown all at once. I think more people would have watched it. Because it's just so darn hard waiting every week, especially when every week is this major, not even a minor, but a major um, cliffhanger. And it's, I think people are, are going to wait until it's all out. And then, do they, do they measure it at that then when, it come, when every episode is out there? I don't know what to tell you, Brian. Okay. You know, again, my problem is I report on show business on the right, entertainment right, world, right. and and the you most don't have important a ball. Well, I'm more to the point. The most important word in show business is business. I business, mean, this is why yeah. the writers' strike and the actors' strike is going on. You know, this is people fighting over money. Yeah, but if you think about it, the you know, yeah, the most important part is business. Except mm -hmm. you don't get business unless you do something completely that the audience wants to see. I mean, some of the biggest movies in the recent years are movies that surprise the heck out of everybody. All right, true, true. Oppenheimer, Barbie, just this past summer. Yeah, look at that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and but uh, but uh, <laughs> Brian, look at the lessons 
that you know again Hollywood uh, well again it's William Goldman who who famously said nobody knows anything thing yeah for me you know what's fascinating about the billion that Barbie has earned is that you know what are they doing you know they're not looking at movies that that you know oh let's do things that connect with the female audience that no let's make a Hot Wheels movie <laughs> you know it's just it's one of these things that let's get 15 different movies based on Mattel toy lines in development it's just sort of well, like did, did you hear that a woman actually broke up with her boyfriend after seeing that movie I did not yeah one of these I don't know if you can if it's true or not but it's just one of these stories that she felt so empowered mm-hmm. that she says you treat me like that and boob it was over mm-hmm. and then and he had no resort to do anything maybe he bought a a, a fake fur coat or something but you know uh, invest in a giant plastic car so uh, all right, folks, tell you what, uh, when we get back from this break, we'll look back at a happier time when, when Star Wars was just getting out of the ground. And uh, Brian will share his thoughts on the most recent Ahsokas. I hear uh, we have some, some lovely, lovely listeners to the Looking at Lucasfilm podcast and folks reach out and thank us for the the stories we share and that sort of thing but they also ask where do you you get this stuff I mean where do you chase these stories down and I'm a a pretty promiscuous reader I'll read anything and and I'm always amazed where I'll pick up Disney or Lucasfilm references but on the other hand sometimes you have to go back to the source and in this case, the source is literally the official Star Wars fan club newsletter. And I am holding, you hear that paper there? I am holding copies of issue number two and issue number three. Wow. Which, to give you some idea, folks, these newsletters are from the just within 10 months of the film first arriving in theaters. I've got... Issue number one, I want to say, is May of 1978. And then the second issue is July of that same year. And what's so funny is this is so early in the history of Star Wars fandom that they're having a contest as part of uh, in this newsletter because they said the purpose of this contest is to name the newsletter, calling it the official Star Wars fan club newsletter or the newsletter of the official Star Wars fan club is awkward and overly wrong, long. And we want a nice, short, distinctive name for this newsletter. And if you submitted it and you won, they gave you your choice of a Star Wars ceramic mug. Oh, you re- wow. Do you remember these? The, the one looked yeah. like Chewie, one looked like Ben, and then Vader, and then finally R2. And what was so funny is that I want to say it's the by the fourth issue, they have their name, and it's the Bantha Tracks. Bantha Tracks. <laughs> which I thought was cool. And, and more to the point, listen to this. They actually, in the newsletter, announce the sequel. That on February 23rd, it was announced that Star Wars Corporation would begin production of the sequel to Star Wars this summer. The title has not been selected yet, but it will not be Star Wars 2. And George Lucas's company, Lucasfilm Limited, will finance the production currently budgeted $10 million. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> That's, I, I know. Isn't that I, funny? Oh, they, yeah. They, they, because it, it was going to be his own money. It was. It came in like a third of that. And this is where they revealed that Leah Brackett was supposed to write the screenplay. And it's the fact that, you know, she sees extensive credits on motion pictures and science fiction, having written scripts for films like The Big Sleep 
and Rio Bravo and The Long Goodbye. Did you know when Howard Hawks worked with her, he hired her because he read an article about her from her about um, crime and detectives, mm-hmm. and he thought that she was a guy. <laughs> and he hired her to mm-hmm. help out William Faulkner mm-hmm. in The Big Sleep. And there was a time when... Um, Humphrey Bogart was looking at the dialogue. He goes, I I can't say this dialogue. It's too girly. Mm -hmm. I need something that sounds more manly. Mm -hmm. And he thought that Leigh Brackett wrote it. And uh, Hawk said, no, no, no. That was written by Faulkner. And he (laughs) goes, this is what Lee wrote. And it was like this really down to earth, you know, I'll I'll crack your knuckles Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so she ended up writing all of Bogart's dialogue for that movie, Big Sleep. Wow. So when they brought her under he under this one, she she did the script on her own, right? And then then when she died, wasn't um. Uh, that's when Kazdan brought her. It came on. Okay. okay. Now uh, to get back to Star Wars. Now each issue they're going to try to answer most often asked questions, and and what's so funny is this is the thing that has persisted in Star Wars uh, mythology forever. Are you know to the effect of the end of Star Wars. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo are each given a medal from Princess Leia, but why didn't Chewbacca receive one? And the, again, 1978, we have our explanation that the rebel forces wanted to give Chewbacca a medal for his part in saving Princess Leia and in the destruction of the Death Star, but Wookiees don't approve of medals. So, to respecting Chewbacca's wishes, they didn't give him one. They didn't give, didn't want to leave Chewie to totally go without and rewarded, however. So after the ceremony at the Rebel base, they then flew to the Wookiee planet for a celebration, which, again, I had no, no idea about. But they seem to have forgotten, because if you remember in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, they made a very big deal of handing off Leia's medal to Chewie. And then finally, one, one little bit here that I just I, I wanted to share because again you know it's such a big part of the star wars mythos the used future in an article called between the script and projector uh ill street uh studios production designer john barry and his crew began designing the large number of props and sets needed instead of the shiny new looking architecture and rockets normally associated with space fantasy films the props and sets for Star Wars were deliberately designed to look used and inhabited. John Barry commented, George wanted to look as if it had been shot on location. So right. those are the places I chase these stories down from. And anyway, uh, when we're done here tonight, I'm, I'm going to go on eBay. I got my eyes on issue four. And, and you know, if I can, I can get that, I'm then only missing three issues of this thing. The first one and then, oddly enough, the last two, issue 34 and 35. But, and, and speaking of, of issue number two and issue number three, makes me think of episode three and episode four of Star Wars Ahsoka. And, Brian, you're going to do a recap now, right? Right. right. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, you know, at 6 o'clock on Tuesday, Devin and I dropped everything and started watching the third episode. Now, after seeing the first episode, I, I just... As, as you you heard last week I I was just enamored with the way they were bringing in the the same feel and with the characters and then the world that uh, rebels gave us and and I was looking forward to the next now 
there wasn't a lot of action. There were some good fight scenes and, and things like that. But, you know, there wasn't the... But I, I figured that was coming up. Eight episodes, there's got to be something big, right? Mm-hmm. So the third episode was called Time to Fly. Mm-hmm. Now, when you think of that, what do you think? You think about a, a baby bird being pushed out of the the nest, right? Somebody has to go from one place to another place. And that's exactly what they did. I guess when they did it before, it was hinted to about in episode three, Ahsoka and Sabine were trying to do the master Padawan thing. Mm -hmm. But Sabine is a Mandalorian and there were a lot of Mandalorians being um, Jedi, except maybe the first Mandalorian um, who created the the Darksaber. But for the most part, she didn't seem to have connection to the Force. I mean, she's a great fighter. She can, you know, do well with the, the lightsaber. And they had some great callbacks when they were doing the training, mm-hmm. like with, you know, putting the shield on so you couldn't see anything. But it was less out of Star Wars and more out of um, the Japanese cinema samurai films that even the first Star Wars was influ- influenced by. I mean, Sabine trained similar- similarly to the way Luke first trained, but I've seen samurai movies where they've trained with the, what do they call kende sticks? Mm-hmm. And one person would be hit by another person, would be blindfolded and hit by another person. I think I even saw it in Kill Bill or something. So you had that element to it too. You you had more less of the force and more of kendo fighting or mm-hmm. um, samurai fighting. And so it was really neat to to see things like that. I mean, I know that Filoni said that these were going to be based on the same samurai movies that mm-hmm. George based on and in episode four he takes something right out of it but I'll get to that later okay okay so but we see we see all sorts of things I mean we are, we're introduced to a live action Jason mm-hmm. and he's got his green hair yep. and he looks similar to what I think a kid that would be Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> and we also get a um don't we get a uh, a kind of cameo by Kanan? Is that in? I I, isn't I think that... it's in four. Yeah, yeah, it's in four. But three was really three was basically a setup. The whole mm-hmm. thing was um, a setup to what was going to to go on when Sabine and Ahsoka get into a firefight. It was very similar to, you know, the firefight with Luke and Han Solo, mm-hmm. where Luke blows something up and says, ah, woo, I got one. Mm-hmm. And then Han Solo goes, don't get cocky, kid. Mm-hmm. Well, Ahsoka goes completely the other way and just goes, good work. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're sitting there going, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened to all this cynicism? So um, it was it was very similar to that, and the Shin's plane, or mm-hmm. not plane, but a fighter, did you notice that it looked very similar to, like, World War II, like, Zeros, or uh, the the GB in Rocketeer, where the wings were in in front, like, right next to the engine? You know, did you I, notice that? I did not pick up on that. 
Yeah, it was a lot different than what we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And the the actress that plays Shin is just amazing. She just has this look that sees right through you, and you just she seems to be holding her own. And she's tall too; she's five to eight, so she's she's a good um, Jedi. So that was three. Three was basically, I think, a setup to what we were going to see in four, in four, or in in the continuing um, parts of the series. And the fourth episode, Fallen Jedi. Mm-hmm. Now. Okay, who's the fallen Jedi? I mean, are we talking about uh, Ahsoka? I mean, she's never really became a Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are we talking about um, Balin? I mean, it, was he falling? Are we talking about someone else? Hmm. So, <laughs> so it was that was a great episode. Mm-hmm. You know, basically they follow where the Eye of Scion is, mm-hmm. and it's this big circular ship mm-hmm. that is supposed to be able to uh, travel in hyperspace. And it's it's being set up by Morgan, who, did you know the actress who plays Morgan was, Devin told me this, she is the goddaughter of of Bruce Lee. I saw that in the notes. Uh, yeah. You sent a long time. That's the first time I heard that. that that's yeah, I, pretty amazing. I didn't, her mm-hmm. father was like partners with Bruce Lee. Interesting. And okay. and she grew up with him. So mm-hmm. this, and then she became a stunt woman herself. Mm-hmm. And now she's always wanted to have a meaty part and this is her meaty part. And I think she's doing a, a killer job mm-hmm. as, as the witch. So this episode is basically set up is, is setting things up. I mean, you know, will they get out there? I mean, we see the Purgles again. Mm-hmm. And we know, and I guess in the world, we haven't seen them for a while. They disappeared. And the first time we saw them is, I mean, people were, um, I think Sabine's seen, I haven't seen them since I last saw them with with um, Thrawn and, yeah, and that- Ezra. That episode, 2018. So, yeah, it's been five years at least since viewers have last seen the Purgles. And again, remember, that's a different time scale than what's actually been going on within the the world of Star Wars Rebels and Ahsoka. Yeah, so anyway, so um, then, of course, we have the next showdown between Shin and and Sabine. Mm -hmm. And Sabine knows that her power is not with the lightsaber, but with her Mandalorian gear. So there's a great scene where Shin has Sabine on the ground and Sabine holds her hand up mm-hmm. like she's going to use the force. Mm-hmm. And Shin actually twitches like, oh no, she knows how to use the force now, but then realizes she doesn't. Mm-hmm. But then what? Sabine does is she uses her little missiles out of her hand that Mandalorian tweets or whatever that um oh gosh we'll get a lot of people saying why can't you remember but anyway so as they're fighting it was really funny how um Shin was doing a lot of cutting down of trees mm-hmm. so I mean she's a if she's not a good Jedi she's a pretty good lumberjack <laughs> Okay, but okay, but it, it but then you you know you got Hu Yang gets in a fight with another robot and it's like mm-hmm. rock'em sock'em robots, mm-hmm. 
It was it was cool to see something like that. But eventually they get to there's this Stonehenge like temple mm-hmm. where they put the orb, which is a map, and it shows the path to where Thrawn could be. And they get the coordinates. Ahsoka fights with Balin, and then Ahsoka falls <laughs> off a cliff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that our fallen Jedi? So they get away. They eventually, Sabine could have um, destroyed the map, but she wants to get Ezra, so she doesn't. So she ends up on the ship. The ship, you know, takes off, or, well, um, Hera and the ghost. So we finally see the ghost and um, a few other um, X-Wing pilots. They try to stop him. They leave. And then basically what should have been a, like a mid-credit scene, mm-hmm. we see Ahsoka waking up. Mm-hmm. And she's in the world between worlds. Remember that? Yeah. When Ezra that, went that- there? That was actually introduced 13th episode of the fourth season of Star Wars Rebels. And right. an interesting space and and has been used. It, wasn't it Ezra who went in there and, and wound up saving Ahsoka previously? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But you, um. by using that. But now she's there again mm-hmm. and she hears somebody. Mm-hmm. And the somebody says, does he say something like, I didn't expect to see you this soon? Mm -hmm. And it's Anakin. Yeah. Though what's been kind of interesting to watch was the reaction in social media to the fact of, I guess they use the de-aging technology to... Oh, did they? Yeah, to to DH Christian. And And it's one of these things where it's like, why do that? I guess previously when we'd seen... Anakin, he looked the the same yeah, age that Christian looks, Hayden is. Yeah, I mean, do Force Ghosts age? I mean, we don't know, right? Well, I mean, you know, the, but but here's the the thing, that, and now we step into that bear trap of people who get upset about the enhanced editions that right. George did, where you know, if you remember the original end of Return of the Jedi, where you know you saw the the actual actor who had played Darth Vader after Luke removed his mask on Death Star 2. And, you know, it was, you know, Alec Guinness and Yoda and, and this actor who I apologize, I've forgotten his name. But what? But when they did the, uh, you know, enhanced redone edition, it was young Christian Hayden, you know, there as Anakin. And so I, I don't know, again, is this Dave Filoni honoring what George now views as canon, that, you know, when we see the Force Ghost version of, you know, Anakin, Darth again, it's, it's supposed to be young Hayden Christensen. Um, Ahsoka wouldn't have recognized old hey, old um, Anakin. Hmm. I mean, maybe she's seen uh, the last person point. she saw. Interesting point. So I'm I'm enjoying this series. Mm-hmm. I know people are saying that it's it's not you know, in the Star Wars tradition. But I think episode four is Mm -hmm. very Star Wars. Mm -hmm. It's very, um, I mean, even the music and the action. I would argue, uh, you know, again, and I think this is what Filoni has done brilliantly with this, is returning to the source material that George himself used. I mean, for example, that 
that battle between Shin and uh, Sabine in, in the forest. If you bled the color out of that, that, you know, Kurosawa could have done that. Well, not only that, what about the showdown between Ahsoka and Merrick? It was right out of Sanjiro. Mm, you're not wrong. You're right not out wrong. of it. When they, it's even to the part mm-hmm. when she cut him, mm-hmm. the green smoke came out of him like the green blood came out or the like the blood came out of the uh, samurai adversary in Sanjiro. It was almost exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. So what, Merrick was a smoke monster? I mean, are we like, uh, you know, it, it what's would, going on with Merrick? All, all, all the rumors... <laughs> <laughs> have just have just dissipated like smoke. <laughs> mm, I don't know. To, to see, the problem is when you say so, smoke monster, I think lost. That's the first thing I thought when I saw oh. him going, oh, so, you know, J.J. Abrams has a little influence on him. Yeah, well, that, that not the first time J.J. has had, you know. I know, but the, the thing is, this mm. is the first time we see anything like that. No, this is true. I mean, so now he's got to explain mm-hmm. how they get they can have robots or whatever you know developed by smoke. Are they ghosts? Are they you know spirits? Are we getting into supernatural? I mean, now it's opened up a whole can of worms. It has, it has. But but at the same time, you know, I don't think we've we've seen a character like Balin and Shin before. So, no. I mean, we're halfway in, you know. And, um, and I, I, I'm sad that that we won't see Ray Stevenson after this because he's doing such an amazing job and you don't you don't see where he stands. Is he good? Is he bad? Mm-hmm. You know he's not Sith. You know mm-hmm. he's not Jedi. He's somewhere in between. We've never seen anybody in between before. And how is that affecting Shin? What is their backstory? I loved. I can't. I hope to goodness they show their backstory because Shin is is turned into one of my favorite characters besides um, uh, Omega. Every time you see her, you mm-hmm. just feel the power, mm-hmm. and and it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> just the way she looks, mm-hmm. the intensity she has. Mm-hmm. I would love to see her part of the universe too. Or more part of it. I mean, I know that they, these are setting up for his movies. And I can't wait to see where he's going with these things. And I'm very sure he's... I mean, Thrawn is coming back. Thrawn is going to start the, the New Order up again. And then somehow Snoke, you know, is taking over that. I don't know how that's going to work. But still, it, it seems like they're... At least they're moving towards that way to give us something you know, a, a coherent connection, which is, is what the fans want, right? They want things that, you know, just give them a little bit of thread and, and put it together. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a big glob, just something small that they go, okay, okay, I'll accept that. Let me be honest there. I, I don't know where this is going. I am looking forward to Tuesday night when episode five drops. So I find out what goes on with Anakin and... Ahsoka, or for that matter, how Sabine survives on the other side of the galaxy with with Balin and Morgan and Shin. And, well, you know yeah. it's going to be a big episode. You know they're showing it in theaters, right? You've heard this? I have not. Yes. AMC is showing it in about um, a dozen theaters in um, the country. They're basically AMC theaters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any near you, but there's one near me. But for some reason... 
this is a big episode that Filoni and Lucasfilm wants some people to see it on big screen. Not even the last episode. Mm-hmm. Not even episode eight. That's a fascinating choice. But episode I did, five. I so major. All right. I yeah, will. major things are going to happen in this one. All right, I'll look around and see if there's some place around us Yeah, uh, come Tuesday night that's showing it. Anyway, thank you for the heads up. Anyway, folks, that is going to do it for this week. Brian and I will be back in two weeks' time. Uh, in the meantime, Brian, where can our listeners find you on social media? Um, you can find me on X at Geek with Children, um, C-H-I-L-D-R-N. Also on Instagram, I think I'm B-T- gone g-a-u-g-h-a-n and i do a lot of instagram stuff so that's Mm -hmm. where you kind of want to find me and people have found me there as for me on social media you can find me on the site formerly known as twitter i'm still having trouble calling it x and also on instagram as jim hill media and on facebook as jim hill media news uh we also have some other podcasts here we'd love for you folks to check out uh, we, of course, have The Mothership, Disney Dish, with, which I do with Len Testa. Uh, we also have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own uh, cool podcast that he does with Charles Hood, Light the Fuse, which, by the way, is the official Mission Impossible podcast. And then, of course, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, who also has his own uh, outside podcast, 32nd Street, which signs a spotlight on Madison Avenue. Uh, oh, 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 before I forget, uh, Len and I also have our brand new project, Disney Unpacked, our first ever video series that we are producing in collaboration with Jim Shule, uh, an Imagineer who spent 30 years working for the Disney company, uh, working on some of your very favorite attractions for the parks, our rides like Rock and Roller Coaster and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. That's going to be launching uh, beginning of next month over on Patreon. Let's see what else. Oh, uh, if you folks could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend Looking at Lucasfilm, uh, that helps other folks find us. Uh, Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you hear, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be great. And that'll do it for this week, folks. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon.